Good morning. He is risen. Amen. So glad to be here with you all, worshiping and praising our King this morning. We invite you guys to stand and sing and lift your voices high to our risen King this morning. Sing a little louder. Heaven 
some of you, but it's easy to pick up on, so let's learn it together, amen? See the tomb where he lay, see the stone rolled away, he is risen, he is risen, he's alive. See his hands, see his feet, do his faith and believe. He is risen, he is risen, he's alive. You believe that this morning? Oh, he's alive. He lives. Oh, So take this freedom, take this love, can you feel it rising up? He is here, he is here, he's alive, and he Jesus. 
Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the dirt
in praise. You may be seated. And again, welcome. Oh, right. Good morning, Rimrock. How are you today? Excellent. I cannot see you, but I can hear you, so I am so glad that you're here today. My name is Boomer Roland. I'm the family pastor here. I get to lead a group of men and women that are here for one reason, and that's to help our kids uh, birth all the way through high school, know, love, and follow Jesus in partnership with moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, and it's such a privilege to be here. Uh, welcome this morning as we celebrate the reason that we actually all get together all the rest of the time during the, during the year to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. Amen? So exciting to be here with you guys today. Uh, hopefully on the way in you got a bookmark, and uh, the bookmark just is one simple purpose. Um, and that is to remind you of your time here and on the back. Um, it's just got an easy way to connect uh, to our website so that you can kind of explore all of the ministries and things that happen all during the rest of the year. And we would love for you to um, engage and be a part of uh, what's going on at Rimrock Church if you don't have a home church somewhere. Also, if you're here for the very first time, if this is kind of your first experience uh, with Rimrock Church, we would love to invite you on the way out just to stop in the lobby. We have a gift for you, just our way of saying welcome and uh, welcome uh, into this uh, body of uh, people who are all uh, moving towards a relationship and uh, with Christ. And uh, exciting to be here this morning. Let's pray together and we'll just continue uh, with our time in God's word. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for inviting us into your presence. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be together as one church. Father, to be together as one family, to worship you, to to, uh, to listen to your word today. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts, open our, our minds, open our ears to be able to receive uh, what uh, Pastor Ben and Pastor Evan have to share with us today. Father, as we listen to your word, Father, we pray that it would not just um, come in and go out, but Father, that it would settle that it would find roots, Father, that it would produce change in our life, um, that it would move us closer to being um, like Christ. Father, we're thankful for the promise that you're with us. We're thankful for the promise that you have not left us behind. We're thankful for the promise that you will come again and that we have a home that we're moving toward. Father, we love you and we worship you today because you reached out, you took the first step, you made the move towards us. You pursued us, and you found us, and you saved us. And Father, we turn and we worship you out of gratitude and thankfulness today. Amen. All right. Because he lives, we can see tomorrow. There's hope. There's life. Praise God. What a joy to sing his praise this morning, and uh, I want to ask a couple questions as we open the word this morning, as we reflect upon what happened over 2,000 years ago, 
Why is resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, so significant for us as Christians? Is it just an excuse to come and celebrate once a year, or is it something so much more, so much deeper? And why, why should we look to Jesus? And why should we place our faith in Him? I'm going to invite you, and, and we have a tradition at, at Rimrock Church, when we read the Word of God to stand up. Would you stand with me as we read out of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We're only going to read three verses, so you'll, you'll be able to sit. But, but this is in honor of what God has said, what He has revealed to us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and he sat down at the right hand on the throne of God consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you so that you will not grow weary and lose heart amen you may be seated praise God for his word so that second question I asked is why why look at Jesus and Hebrews 12 tells us we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. The worship team up here, if you noticed, they're all wearing black, and it's not because they're in mourning. In fact, they're celebrating, but it's because their heart and their desire, their prayer, my heart, my desire, my prayer, and I know many of you, your heart, desire, prayer is not that you would be here to see some kind of performance. We're here to fix our eyes on Jesus. <laughs> and when we look to Jesus, we begin to understand what faith is is in fact hebrews 12 tells us that he is the pioneer he is the author he is the creator he is the first to demonstrate to us to humanity what faith truly truly is he's an example he's a pioneer and he's a deliverer he makes something possible that we would not understand that we would not know that we would be unable to experience if it was not for Jesus Christ. And we believe that the resurrection of Jesus is the completion of his life, of all that he is as the Son of God, and that's why he came. But before we talk about the resurrection, we need to talk about the cross. And that's what I'm going to spend a few minutes up here sharing with you out of Hebrews 12. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, and he scorned its shame. You see, the scandal of the cross, and it was a scandal, a perfect, holy, glorious God who created every living thing, dying a criminal's death, is a scandal. But it's good news for us. It's good news so that we can understand the glory of the resurrection. But if we don't understand the cross, the resurrection doesn't have any significance if we don't understand the death of Jesus. On occasion, I've had the opportunity to travel 
by airplane, and I remember one time getting in my seat, and I sat next to a woman, and, and I always pray before I get on an airplane, Lord, is there an opportunity for me to share about my faith in Jesus? And, and sometimes it is, sometimes it's not, but this time I got to get in a conversation with this woman, and, and I began to share a little bit of my story, and I shared some of my struggles and how Jesus met me in my sin. But she said something I had never heard someone say before. <laughs> she said, you know, I, I've never sinned. I've never done anything wrong. <laughs> I was a little taken back because, you know, most people don't say that. But I realize a lot of us live that way or think that way, even though we might not be bold enough or brave enough to say that. But a lot of us think that or try to live that way. In fact, I would say the, the primary faith of our time, of our generation, of our world right now is a faith in a secular, materialistic, humanistic worldview that would say there is no God and that people are basically good, fundamentally good, and that truth is found by somehow looking inside and discovering who we are, and then out of that, we somehow determine truth for ourselves and for others. And so this woman was espousing a, a faith that had no room for God and no room for sin. This is the prevalent mindset, belief system of our generation. You see, as human beings, we're really good at excusing our, our bad behavior, right? We, we always see it worse in someone else, but, but we justify or we, we self-think uh, that we're okay. And we see this all over and we see it in ourselves. But you know what's interesting is I've talked to so many people Every person I've ever talked to in my life has been hurt by someone, is in pain from some experience with someone. You see, everyone has been hurt. And so what is that? What causes that? And so there's a foolishness of this kind of thinking that somehow we are sinless or, or that we are fine on our own. Because if we're honest, and we take the time to really reflect, to really look inside, what we find is not peace or joy or love, but we find a deep, deep selfishness. Now, some of you might be not, uh, not believing me, but just have some children, just have some kids. <laughs> I got three of them, and many of you have them, and what you begin to see is from birth, we are born selfish. We become it becomes so evident in our closest relationships, even if you're not married, even if you don't have kids, in your closest friendships, and your closest relationships, what do you see is selfishness. And I can tell you, as a parent, I see so much selfishness in me. And I see so much kinds of brokenness, whether it's anger or, or whatever it is, and it comes out in my life, in our lives. You see, there's an opposite foolishness. If it's foolish to say we are sinless, that we've done nothing wrong, it's also foolish to think that we are no good at all, to beat ourselves up, to condemn ourselves, and think that we could never be loved. We could never be accepted. And just as many people who struggle with pride also and self-righteousness also struggle with despair and self-condemnation. And you know what? This is just as foolish. You see, this is the human condition. We're always vacillating between some kind of prideful self-righteousness or some kind of despair and thinking that we are nothing or no good. Both extremes are wrong. And this is why Jesus came. This is why we need the cross. <laughs> 
Because we needed to be, something needed to be revealed to us about the reality of our condition, the, the truthfulness of how we really are, that we were truly created in God's image with goodness and with infinite value. And it's only through the cross that we understand the extent of that value. That the very God who created you, who formed in your mother's womb, thought enough of you and saw your brokenness and your sin, that he was willing to leave the glory of heaven to come into the brokenness of the human experience. And he died willingly. In fact, he told his disciples way before he went to the cross, he said, I am going to die and it's for a purpose. He says, I'm going to die for you. My body is broken for you. You see, Jesus shows us on the cross the extent of how much God loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We begin to see in the cross that God is a God of love, infinite love. Love that has no measure, no bounds. Paul prays for the church that they would grasp how wide and long and deep and high is the love of God. And we see that in the cross and we begin to see that we are loved and we are valued in the eyes of God. But the cross does something else. It also reveals our sinfulness. And we have to see that. We have to look at that. We have to examine the reality of our brokenness and that we've, we've rebelled against God and we've hurt everyone in our lives because of our sin. You see, the cross was an ugly representation of the true human condition. The sinless, perfect Son of God was beaten, he was spit upon, he was rejected, he was betrayed, he was stripped naked and he was mocked and nails were driven into his hands. The violence, the anger, the pride, the selfishness, it was all exposed. There was no hiding it. Like, we, we dress up pretty good, right? We put on a good show. But the cross reveals the reality of who we really are, that we are sinful. We are loved beyond measure, but we are sinful. And the cross reveals that. He reveals our brokenness and that we need deliverance outside of ourselves. We're incapable of being righteous on our own, of being right on our own. We need God's help. And this is why Jesus came. There's a story in the Bible of a man named Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. And you know what I love? We all have stories. <laughs> Beautiful stories. Every single one of you has a story. We all have stories. And the Bible is full of stories. And each of these stories reveals something about us and our need for Jesus. And Zacchaeus lived a long time without knowing Jesus. He was trying to figure out this life on his own. And so he became a tax collector. And he became rich and successful and comfortable. But to get there, he had to hurt a lot of people. He is a representation of our selfish sinfulness. And he was isolated. People despised him because he had used his position to gain at other people's loss. And so Zacchaeus is this picture of our condition of pride and self-righteousness, but also self-despair and condemnation, thinking we're unloved. Yet one day, something sparked in Zacchaeus' heart. And this is my prayer that for all of us today, this spark would be awakened by the Holy Spirit. Because one day he said, I want to see Jesus. I want to find him. I want to see who he is. And he climbed a tree and he looked and he saw Jesus. 
And Jesus came into his life. And this is why Jesus said he came. At the end of his time with Zacchaeus, he said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus found Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus. Jesus found him. Are you looking for Jesus this morning? He's looking for you. <laughs> and he's going to come into your life like he came into Zacchaeus's life. And Zacchaeus said, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. He repented of his sin. He said, I need a deliverer. And he experienced the love of God, the unimaginable, immense ocean of God's love. He put his faith in Jesus, and it says he was filled with joy, and he gave back everything he had stolen. And his house, his life was filled with peace and joy. He became a new man. The cross reveals the grace of God. What about you? Do you see your sin? Do you see your lostness? Do you see the fear of sickness, death? Do you feel unloved? Jesus wants to come into your life today. Will you look to him? Will you fix your eyes on Jesus? Will you look and see how he can do something new in you? I want to read this prayer as we close this time, as we continue our worship. This is an old prayer. This is a Puritan prayer. Did you know here in the United States of America, there were Puritans who began their time in our nation on their knees, seeking Christ, looking to Christ. And this is what they prayed. Christ was all anguish that I might be all joy. He was cast off that I might be brought in. He was trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend. He surrendered to hell's worse that I might attain heaven's best. Stripped that I might be clothed. Wounded that I might be healed. A thirst that I might drink. Tormented that I might be comforted. Made a shame that I might inherit glory. Entered darkness that I might have eternal life. My Savior wept that all tears may be wiped from my eyes. Groaned that I might have endless song. Endured all pain so that I may have unfading health. He bore a thorn crown that I might have a glory diadem. He bowed his head that mine might be lifted up. Experienced reproach that I might receive welcome. He closed his eyes in death that I might gaze into unclouded brightness, and he expired that I might live forever. Amen? We need Jesus. We need the cross. But here's the good news. It didn't end at the cross. His purpose was not just complete on the cross. There is a final blow to sin and death, and its power has changed humanity forever. Let's worship him. Is finished, the end is. 
Sing your praise, O oh Lord. 
Jesus is the most successful leader, teacher, social reformer, and world revolutionary that the world has ever known. He has roughly two billion followers worldwide, and the global calendar revolves around his birth. He and the movement that he created are written about, sung, and discussed more than any other person in history. His philosophy on how to live has helped to create the fundamental pieces of our culture, equality, democracy, freedom of speech, capitalism, a social care system that helps support the disabled and down and out. In only three and a half years of public ministry, Jesus has done far more for the world than any other person. And all of this in spite of constant efforts to minimize his impact through persecution and genocide. You know, I imagine that this is not startling news. Most likely you have heard this before. But have you spent time recently asking yourself the question, how could this be possible? How could one man have had such a massive impact on the entire world for almost 2,000 years of human history? Ben just helped us see the main, one of the main things that Jesus came to do, to die a sacrificial death, to take the place of a selfish and wicked humanity. He willingly bore the weight of our rebellion against our Maker, and because of this, we have the ability to be fully forgiven of every sin we will ever commit. And all of this is incredible and necessary for the good life. But as I've been thinking through this, a question keeps coming to my mind. Is this enough to account for the level of impact that Jesus has had since his death? I don't think it is. Let me explain. For one, Jesus is not the only revolutionary to be killed for the sake of his cause. Try Googling revolutionaries who have been killed. There are literally hundreds of people that fall into this category, and I only recognize the name of a few. Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., John Lennon. This means that just because someone is controversial and brave enough to fight for their cause to the point of being executed doesn't mean they are able to change the world. Well, how about total forgiveness then? Think about this. If another leader provided universal amnesty for all criminals, would that make them a world changer? Yeah, it would, but the world would not be changed for the better, would it? Right? Imagine what would happen if a universal pardon was given and the prison doors were swung wide open. 
Now, if these two do not guarantee a person the title of the most impactful person ever, then this means that Jesus must have done more than just die on a cross. And the fact that this is Easter, I'll give you one guess. He rose from the dead. Let me say that again. He rose from the dead. Now, as impactful as that should be, i got to be honest. For me, sadly, this has begun to turn into a Christian cliché. I can easily hear or even say Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave in the same way that I can order food from Five Guys. Bacon cheeseburger all the way on a lettuce wrap. Right? Anybody else suffer from this level of desensitization? Right? To fight against this. Right now, let's engage our minds in this together. For the next few minutes, I want us to consider what happened almost 2,000 years ago on a Sunday morning in Jerusalem. Now, a day and a half earlier, Jesus had been hung on a cross, and in front of dozens and dozens of people, he breathed his last breath. To verify that he was dead, they stuck a spear in his side and saw that the blood and water had already began to separate. Like every other dead person, he was then buried in a tomb. Because of this, his disciples, men like Peter, James, and John, women like Mary of Magdalene, they went into hiding. Their, leaders had, their leader had been taken out by authorities, and I'm sure they were concerned the same thing would happen for them. So they hid. On the Sunday morning following the crucifixion, a couple of his followers went to the grave to anoint him with the customary oils and spices. But when they showed up, it wasn't at all like they had expected. We see this in Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You look for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now I'm sure you've heard this before. Right? And it being Easter, you're not, a, you're not surprised to hear it again. But like I mentioned before, let's take a moment to knock the, uh, knock the dust of this old age story, right? knock it off and clear the cobwebs of our preconception. What is the his, this historically verifiable account saying happened to Jesus two days after he had been executed? He had been raised from the dead. Maybe if I say it in more of a scientific manner, it'll help make a little more sense. Jesus was killed. His lungs stopped breathing, his heart stopped beating, and his brain fully shut down. But a couple of days later, he was brought back to life, literally. Everything physical that had, brought, that had been bought, brought to a sudden and violent halt was resurrected, which is defined by Webster as restored back to life. Now, how many times have you seen this happen? How many times have you heard of this happen? Right? Is this at all common? No. There is nothing as final and permanent as a person dying. But here we have Jesus of Nazareth, 
A man, just like you and me, flesh and blood, who at 33 years old was put to death and then buried. And then the following Sunday, he was walking, talking, eating, and joking with his friends. And if we see this objectively, it is impossible not to describe this as miraculous. One of a kind, eye-catching, even mind-blowing. Now for those of us who gravitate towards being skeptical, skeptical of the inexplainable, people like me, it's important for us to see that there is so much supporting evidence to back this up, to show that it really happened. I'm only going to give you three. First one, if the opponents to Jesus and his followers wanted to end this movement before it even got off the ground, what did they have to do? Produce a body, right? Drag Jesus' corpse out into the daylight and instantly Christianity would have been decimated. Now those standing against Jesus and his crew were men and women of social power and authority, both Jewish and Roman, but they were never able to find a body. To this, you might be thinking, what if the disciples simply destroyed the body and then came up with the idea of Jesus' resurrection so that way they could become rich, famous, and have power? You know, that's a good thought. But do you know what happened to every single one of Jesus' disciples over a 30-year period? They remained poor vagabonds that were all killed for their faith in Jesus. Why would these men and women hang on so desperately to a lie that was bringing them no value? Last one. This is the one that I started my ramble with 10 minutes earlier. If Jesus and his story were simply lies, how could he have had the impact that he's had on the world over the past 2,000 years? A deception, no matter how grand, could never have produced the ripple effects that Jesus has. And for me, no matter how skeptical I have been over the last 25 years, facts like these help me see that Jesus must be far different than any other teacher, social reformer, or revolutionary. He must have a different level of influence, simple, he must have a different level of influence more than simply inspiration, which he does. Jesus has the ability to empower people to change, to give individuals the ability to be continually transformed from good to bad and from good to great. Wait. From bad to good, right, and then good to great. Now, you may be wondering right now, how could a person do this? How could somebody else help others overcome their own selfish brokenness? Remember what he did on that Sunday long, long ago? The same power that he has over death and the grave, he has over the sin and the wickedness in all of our lives. Let me give you an analogy to hopefully help this make a little more sense. Raise your hand if you are a medical professional. Doctor, nurse, a mom, right? I imagine there's a few of you out there, right? Now imagine that you are trying to be cool in front of your kids, so you hop on a skateboard, right? Anybody ever done that? If you're at all like me, half a second later, right, you're flat on your back proving how cool you really are. Now inevitably, your knees, your elbows, and your butt are screaming out. Now, based on all of your training and your experience, I'd imagine that you have the ability to treat your own wounds and help your body heal, right? Now, if you can do this for yourself, I'd imagine that it's safe to say that you could do this for other people. Now, apply that same concept to Jesus. If he has the ability to fully conquer death, the most powerful and wicked force in the world, 
right? If he has the ability to conquer this in his own life, I think it's safe to say that he has the power to overcome any form of evil and destruction in our lives as well. This is a promise that he gave, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly or have it to the fullest. And I believe that this is why Jesus is the most successful leader, teacher, social reformer, and the world, revo- and world revolutionary that has ever lived because of the goodness that he can bring and will continue to bring into countless numbers of people's lives. Not only did he die for our selfish and wicked choices, he also can pour abundant and transforming power into our broken realities. And this isn't just in the eternal spiritual realm. He can and will bring his transformative power into your life, and he can do it now, today. I've seen it. And I was once hopelessly chained to addiction. My marriage was holding on by threads, and then Jesus stepped into my life and resurrected my existence. He brought me from a shell of a man, living a reactionary life, worshiping the God of pleasure, to someone that now has so much better of an understanding of where I can find contentment and joy. And by no means is my selfishness dead and gone, but I'm now in a spot that a decade back I never even knew existed, a place that I want to be, one that I can operate in the way that I was made to operate. Now, why do I have this? You think it was anything that I could do? No, it's because Jesus brought and continues to bring me the abundant life that he has promised. And I know there are so many people in this room that can speak to this reality. Jesus is our deliverer. Right? He can deliver us from the pain and heartache that comes from the pursuit of money and the things that it can buy when that is our end goal. Or he can save you from your career and the power, prestige, and wealth that it brings when that becomes your priority over everything else in your life, right? Because of that, you put other things into the back seat, relationships, your health, your spiritual life. He can also deliver us from the destruction that comes when pleasure is our God, sex, drink, drugs, right? And the cancerous effects that they have on our minds and our relationships. He also has the ability to deliver you from the bondage that you are locked in as you continually seek the approval of others through the way that you look, what you do with your life, and what they think about you. And whatever you're dealing with today, whether you are new to the truth of the Bible or you have been a believer for 40 years, Jesus still has the same power that he showed the world on Easter Sunday, and he wants to bring this resurrecting, life-changing power into your world. But like Ben showed us with, that, with Zacchaeus, in order to receive this transformative power that we all crave and need, what must we do? We must fix our eyes on Jesus. So he told you the story. I want to read a little bit. Luke 19. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now when Zacchaeus had come to an end of himself, 
realizing that he was incapable of creating the life that he deeply desired, he made intentional efforts to fix his eyes on Jesus. He did this by running ahead of the crowd and climbing a tree, both of which a respected man never did. But he was willing to do this so that he could experience what Jesus had proven he can bring, an abundant life. And once he was face to face with Jesus, Zacchaeus realized that following Jesus was worth everything. So he promised to use the wealth that he had had to help the poor and fix the wrongs that he had done. Verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay them back four times as much. And if you want the same thing that Zacchaeus got, you must also do the same thing he did. Make intentional efforts to fix your eyes on Jesus and then follow his leading. You know, it can be as simple as reading your Bible in the morning or regularly meeting with other followers of Jesus on a Sunday so that way you can get to know him better. Or it may even be simpler than that. During the next set of songs, you could invite him into your life. Even if you've already been saved, right? You still have free will of this moment. You could invite him into your life, giving him permission to show you how to think, feel, and even act. As you do this, Certain people may, in your life may pop into your mind. People that you either need to forgive or apologize to or even harder, cut out of your life. Or you may be feeling this conviction that you work too much. You look at too much porn, you spend too many nights at the bar, or you're caring too much about what other people think of you and your style. When you invite your deliverer directly into your life, giving him permission to work there, then there's a good chance that he's going to point out things for you to do that won't be easy. Now, I'm sure this doesn't sound appealing, right? Not what you're thinking of a feel-good Easter Sunday. But if nothing else this morning, please know that over the past 2,000 years, Jesus has proven himself to be worth everything. Whatever he asks you to do, if and when you do it, you'll receive far more good than you will ever have expected. And he will give you the power to bring about deliverance from your own brokenness.
sing that together just as a prayer for us. Here is where I lay it down, every burden, every crown. This is my surrender. This is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down, every lie and every doubt. This is my surrender.
that we would just lay it all down for you. Lord, this world is full of so many distractions. We have so much that just draws us one way or another, God. But you've just given us this amazing gift. And Lord, I just pray right now that we would just use this as a time just to remember why we're here. What's the point? So I just pray that for me right now, God, that you just remind me that you are my God and that you love us so much and you have so much planned for us, God. You have a purpose and a plan and it is good. So God, I just pray for everyone here that as you're just touching hearts and you're just convicting us, Lord, that we would just surrender it to you, God, that we would just be intentional about having you in our lives. Thank you for loving us, God. Amen. satisfied here in your love let's sing it out come on there is nothing better than you there's nothing better than you lord there's nothing nothing is better than you amen sing it out oh there's nothing better than you there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. Amen. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness. My failures and flaws, Lord, you've seen them all. Still call me friend. There's a God of the mountain. There's a God of the valley. There's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. You know that? Sing it. No, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing. 
nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. I know there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. Come on, here we go. You turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who cares. You turn graves into garden. You turn bones into army. Seas into highways, you're the only one who can. Let's do that again. Come on, you turn mourning to dancing, you give beauty for ashes, you turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. Nothing better than him. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood.
thanks for coming today. And I hope that your life's been changed just as mine. And as I think about this time, right now, in this moment, you have a choice. You have a choice to keep it inside and to be changed by a God who loves you and wants to do everything through you, or you have a choice to share that. And when I think about the cross, that is what it really means. It's God has been chasing after each and every one of us. And now you know, but maybe your friends don't know. Maybe the loved ones don't know. And so my challenge to you right here in this place as you walk out of this place is to find someone. Because you are the light right now. God lives inside of you. He breathes inside of you. But it's your choice. So our prayer for you is that you would be bold. In this time and in this world, it is hard. And it seems dark but you are the light. We are the light. And as we stand united here right now, let us step into that calling. Let us be who God has created us to be. So let's sing this song one last time and enjoy this beautiful day of a risen King. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You would lay down your life That I would be set free I sing for all that you've done for Who breaks the power of sin and darkness Whose love is mighty and so much stronger
the King above all kings. Who rules the nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. The King of glory, the King above all kings. Come on. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. I sing for all that you've done for me. Who is the lamb who was slain? Worthy is the king who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. You are worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. I sing for all that you've done for me. You've done for me. God bless you all. Thank you so much for coming. Go out and spread the light. Have a great day. God bless.